0: You destroy my photographer! You idiot!
1: Did I kill... some of your people,
0: Marno? I can't remember. We have an arrangement! Don't pretend you mourn, Herr Doctor. I know you. Why him, you monster? Why not the... script girl? <laughs> the script girl... Eat her later. No, you will not. Our bargain. You agreed not to hurt my people. Listen to me. Do you understand? This requires that I go back to Berlin to find another photographer and then to fly him back here. And you, you will control yourself while I am away. I don't think we need the writer any longer. I don't expect you to understand this, and I am loath to admit it myself. But the writer is necessary. All my crew is necessary. Do you understand?
1: No. Be afraid.
0: Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God, whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks?
1: You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Fear of God podcast. We are so glad you're here for the very first formal installment of our Umbrella series for the year 2020-2020. To know exactly what it's all about, go back and listen to our pre-cap episode, which is, as a matter of fact, not, unfortunately, about Captain America, from the end of January for deeper insight. But basically, you all are voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we're covering one from each year. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey, but he was here a minute ago and guys, he got he, it's it's a little unusual for him, but he got real perturbed at me and called me a Stanislavski lunatic and then stormed off. He'll be back. I, I'm sure. I I hope. Here at The Fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear. Dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions around horror and genre-themed media books and film. At The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now, when I'm going to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God podcast on... Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox. While you're at it, subscribe to us on your favorite platform and also leave us a five-star rating and or a glowing review. Find us on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com where you'll find an episode archive and be able to purchase merchandise from the show. See fellow Foggers and their Fear of God merch on t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows. We also have the one and only Reed. Hey, buddy, you're you're back. I'm I'm so glad to see you. You are you are a little. You doing okay? It was a little, little testy there for a minute. I want makeup.
1: <laughs> give me, give me what you promised me.
0: Is that Arnold in there? <laughs>
1: that definitely it is. It is intended, like a... <laughs> it's intended to be. It was intended to be some sort of vampiric thing, but no. now I now I think and now no, now it's now it's, yes. now it's shadow I, of the Arnold. <laughs> Shut, shut. I'm here for the vampire movie Where's the Where did you I'm here for the, the No 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 I can do it Put oh me in coach I, I want to suck your blood Right okay. Right That's what we do Okay Listen right, to Reed. them hey, The children Arnold, of the night Go go get Reed Arnold <laughs> <laughs> yeah really? try to do an impression and they all you blew do. together they do they do hello. Well, it's all just, it,
0: at the end of the day it's it's all just arnold
1: yeah um, yeah
0: hello my friend it's uh you, you're my running mate this election year. i don't know if you heard reed by the time this aired the nevada caucuses and the south carolina primaries happened and we won we won, <laughs> Man, we, we, won. we are sweeping we are
1: on track. <laughs> we are the clear front runner. I we mean, are the, is...
0: we are the candidates to beat this year, <laughs> indeed. It's our race to lose as a matter of fact. <laughs> oh man, I hope we don't. <laughs> oh, me either. So, so today, Reed, we are starting uh the umbrella series for the year. We're I'm finally so here. 2020 I'm so 2020. So excited. I, I, and to be fair, you know, I I want you to outline how to how or shall I say, I want you to enumerate or you know, you were read and or you're Arnold, but for the moment, oh. I need you to put. I need you to put on your hat of Lackey, the listicle my occasionally listless, list, list making Lackey. And should he have know, a list, voice? I can make yeah, him um, have a voice. No, let's let's not do that because you got a <laughs> he lot can, to say. He can talk
1: like <laughs> this. <laughs> no,
0: it's <God. laughs> like a helium read. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Shouldn't have sucked uh, on that balloon.
0: I know. Uh, will you? List out for listeners how Ooh. they can continue to assist us in this twenty 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 series, mainly because I'm super confused. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's actually for my help that uh, yes. I need you to tell us about this.
1: Regardless, either way, what you can do is go to com, your home and hub for all things foggy. Um, At the banner at the top, you're going to see the 2020-2020 banner. You click on that, and you will see. Now, as of this recording, of course, the year 2000 is closed down. Unfortunately, also as of this recording, the year 2001 has also closed down. So, um, as you're listening to this, you still have time to go and vote on the years 2002. Through 2008, that concludes the first sort of wave of these years that we're covering. So if you want your vote to count for the top 10 favorite horror films of each of those years, then go to the website. Click on the banner, and then right there you'll see big numbers. You click on the year. You vote on as many of the films from that year as you want to based on your favorites, and then we will tally up the results and deliver them back to you, one list each episode as we count through the year 2000 all the way up through where we are right now in 2020. And it's going to be really fun. We're going to spend the whole year doing it uh, off and on, and, uh, and I'm really excited. But the way you can participate is just go to the website, click on the banner, uh, click on any of the surveys that are still listed. Um, you, one way visually that you will know if a survey has already closed is if we have listed the film that we are covering from that year. Then you'll know you can't vote on it anymore. But if the year just says the year, click on it, cast your vote. We'll be in good shape. So, uh, so yeah, uh, listeners, fine. participate. You're gonna. It's, it's really I- fun. I love when a plan comes together, as it were.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What's really fun about this is just seeing these lists come in and and that sense memory attached to some of these films. You know, oh like, my gosh, yes. Um, and and what is kind of cool, um, I don't know about you, but uh, at least for today's film and next week's film, it had been a solid. I don't know. Ten to fifteen years since I've seen either sure, of them. Sure, sure. And and how much my, you know, it's it's kind of it's just kind of cool having that experience of like, huh, I have, I have hopefully grown in maturity, and so you just have different eyes that you use to
1: see these things with. It's kind of oh, a fun absolutely, experience. absolutely. So I had seen next week's film, which we'll talk about next week. I had seen next week's film a couple of times since my initial viewing of it. But this film that we're covering today, I the last time I saw it was in college. So it was such a delight to be able to revisit it. You know, listeners, spoiler alert, we are talking, if you've seen it in the title, we're talking about Shadow of the Vampire from the year 2000 uh, today. Won't tell you where it shows up in the lists because we'll do our countdown in just a moment. But um, I saw that film in college and uh, we'll talk about it when we get there, but I... Uh, I remembered being at the time a bit more ambivalent about it and watching it this time around, that was definitely elevated, which of course we'll get to when we get into it. But uh, this was, yeah, this was very exciting. This entire exercise of revisiting some of these, many of which I have not seen since our college days and shortly thereafter uh, is, is a real delight. I'm really having a good time. I mean,
0: it, it's a little unnerving. That it was twenty years ago, but What, right? are, you gonna, what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Just put one foot in front of the other. Um. Hey, we uh before we open the door on that, I did want to shout out real quick. I thought I'd written this down in my notes, but I don't see it, and I don't want to f- neglect it. Um. Big shout out to Robin Barr, who uh just. Mm. Mm. Jumped in the deep end of this whole fear of God zaniness uh, last week by being willing to do an interview about her piece on Joker um, that appeared in the Washington Post. So, Robin, thank you so much for that, listeners. I hope uh, you enjoyed that as a little addendum on our Best of 19 series, which that that was a fun series. Oh man, was, I had a blast with that. That, that was, was some great. good flicks. That was absolutely um, great. But we're but it's, we're not here for the Best of 2019, Reed. <laughs> no, we're not, listeners.
1: Are you ready? Are you? <laughs> let's get ready to list these (laughs) 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 all right so you we are having clearly way too much fun um so you selected them lister listeners you selected you're the lister i'm the listers they're the listeners um you selected your top 10 favorite horror films of the the year 2000. We are going to deliver them right now to you. We've got our top 10 up in front of us. Uh, Nathan, do you want to start with 10? Do you want me to start with 10? Which, uh, you want to do odds, evens? How do you want to do this? Um, I, don't, I don't care. I, <laughs> that, I don't, that took way more wanna, thought than I it thought. did. It did. <laughs> I'm like,
0: I, I don't want to think about it. So I will start with 10. Okay. Uh, I'll That's start right with down. 10. So number 10 is a film... I've probably seen maybe half of these. This is not one of them. Um, Uh, Number 10 on the list of the best horror films as voted on by our listeners of the year 2000 is Ginger Snaps. I do like Ginger Snaps.
1: I've just never seen the film. I like the cookie. Uh, Directed by John Fawcett. Yes. uh, We won't spend a ton of time unpacking each of these, uh, but uh, Ginger Snaps was a a really... It it's notable for being a werewolf film centered around two female characters, so which is pretty unique. In that's interesting. What yeah. is the
0: what is the title source from?
1: Uh, to be candid, I can't remember. Uh, it has oh, been. I was going to say something. I was hoping it
0: was about cookies or something. and You're like <laughs> werewolf girls. No, like, it that's is not uh, what I would have envisioned.
1: I I have seen it, but it has been probably a good fifteen to twenty years since I saw it. Um, so, uh, that was, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember what connection the title has to the source material. I do remember liking it, um, because it has been so long since I've seen it, I, I wouldn't be able to speak very much about specifics to it. I just remember that its place in general, that it holds a, a high place in the horror community for being that rare, Film that centers around female characters uh, in in this particular like sort of wolf like context. I mean, the very you know what the early werewolf films (laughs) the the one we covered was literally the Wolf Man. So like werewolves have so frequently been identified as uh, male characters. uh, So Ginger Snap sort of bucks that trend. Um, But again, Mm. I I should revisit it because I remember liking it. It's just been so long since I've seen it. Um, All right. Number 9 on the list is a film I must confess listeners that I do not care for very much. Um it is a film directed by Paul Verhoeven called Hollow Man starring Kevin Bacon. I remember seeing this film in the theater and not thinking very highly of it at the time. It's kind of a this is perhaps uh relevant in the fact that we are imminent to the release of Universal's the Invisible Man, uh, re- like, it's not a remake, it's like a reimagining, a, a new sure. vision of The Invisible Man. But Hollow Man at the time was kind of that thing. Uh, have you ever seen Hollow Man? Uh,
0: I am aware of it, and it's possible I've seen it, but I don't remember, really.
1: Okay. Um, I, I remember at the time that that was sort of the big gimmick, uh, huge technical achievements in terms of special yeah, effects yeah. and stuff. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I remember just not... Caring very much for it in terms of script and overall impact, uh, but again, it's—I mean—it's been a while. I just don't have very fond memories of it. I remember liking the effects and generally liking Kevin Bacon's performance, but I remember specifically feeling like the script was super, super weak. Given, with all sincerity, given that hollow man is is on the top 10 maybe i should reconsider that and revisit it at some point uh give it a little bit more credibility but um but yeah that's where i'm at with it for right now
0: um number eight directed by the one and only bob zemeckis it is forrest gump i mean no it is not (laughs) forrest gump um uh, although he did direct that uh it is what lies beneath which um, I have fond memories of. I don't know how well it holds up. Um, um I,
1: I remember liking it at the yeah. time of its release, and that that's about all I can remember. I, from my experience, I remember absolutely loving it. Uh, a very brief story. I saw this film when we were at my family was at a convention in St. Louis, and my family was off. Uh, at some of the convention festivities, I had the evening to myself, and I went out to see a movie, and I went out to see What Lies Beneath, which I absolutely loved at the time. It freaked me out. A very, very scary film to me at the time. And I remember it so indelibly, because then, being in a strange city, I had to ride the subway back to our hotel room, and I was really, (laughs) really freaked out that I had to do that after having watched What Lies Beneath. Now, I, um, with such affection for it, I own the film, and I remember a number of years ago I watched it again, and I do remember my affection dinging down a bit on the rewatch, but even that has been some number of years ago, so uh, I would be curious, you know, with a fresh-eyed view, given some of the ways on Fear of God we've traversed through things, maybe I would see some different things or appreciate it a little bit differently, but I remember loving it in the theater, liking it slightly less... Uh, on the rewatch, but, uh, but still having some pretty fond memories of it. It's, it's, Hmm. it's really effective. Uh, I remember my one big complaint with it in the theater is that I won't spoil here for the listeners. There is a major reveal in the film at a certain point that the trailers spoiled. And I remember being a bit frustrated, even loving it in the theater that so much time was spent avoiding that reveal when I knew it from the trailers. But, you know, then I've, since then learned more about the disconnect between marketing and filmmaking and uh, recognizing how some things like that could happen. But there it is, What Lies Beneath uh, at number eight. So number seven is uh, the third installment of the legendary slasher franchise Scream. It is Scream 3, directed by the one and only Wes Craven. It is the only one, for me, of the Scream franchise that I don't totally care for. I do think there's some fun things about it, and I think it's watchable, uh, and it's got, it's got some cool things to it. But in the overall Scream franchise, I am extremely fond, even love 1 and 2. Uh, I think 4 has some very interesting things going for it. 3 is the only one that I'm just kind of meh about. Like, I'll, you know, it's okay. I'd, I'd still watch it, but uh, not, uh, not extreme. 2,000, interesting year for horror. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: number six on the list is Battle Royale uh not to be confused with uh battle royale with cheese uh directed <laughs> directed by kenji fukusako a japanese gentleman uh, by name
1: i know nothing about this film so in brief uh this film was basically i remember when the hunger games came out mm-hmm. uh, at least for the first installment there was a lot of sort of uh Connective conversation about Battle Royale because it is about youths in a death arena. That's Did you say youths? No, youths. <laughs> Did Evan? I'm trying to articulate in the microphone. Uh, the two uh, youths, young young people <laughs> in a uh, in a death arena, and um, sure. and so uh, I rem- what I remember about it is that it was extremely violent. That it that it is very graphically violent. I remember. Generally, kind of liking it and kind of liking the story, but being a bit off put by the, um, you know, by the general violence, which is pretty extreme, if my memory serves me correctly. But
0: and wasn't the catchphrase for that just like "May the odds be ever in your favor"?
1: Like that was the. I think that was the biggest thing that they were like, "Hey, isn't this wait? Hunger <laughs> Games is like what? I don't understand." <laughs> the original working title for Battle Royale was uh Battle Mockingjay, and then and, and sure. so it was yeah, just yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so number five um number five is uh, a film that honestly uh, uh peek behind the curtain listeners in the early voting stages ranked much higher there was uh it was it was actually in the early voting uh a contender for the top spot or at the very least the second spot um and that is directed by david Twohi if i'm saying his correctly his name correctly Pro- which i'm probably, probably not. not toy or something <laughs> to get, just, <laughs> give just, me just, do you have my toy Where's my toy box? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My apologies. Mm -hmm. I actually really like that director. But it's Pitch Black, everybody. Pitch Black, the the film that for many people introduced us mainstream to Vin Diesel. Uh, I remember uh, in our college days, Nathan, you and Mm -hmm. I, had a buddy, had a room yeah, for a little while yeah, that love. loved, loved yeah. this film. Uh, yeah, Very much loved this film. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so Pitch Black, directed That's by- door. Better yeah. left closed. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the light out.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, number four on the list of Best of 2000 is a film I have not seen. Uh, that ah. is the, the Cell, directed by Tarsim Singh. Mm -hmm. um is is this good have you seen it
1: so visually it's yeah i remember that kind of stunning um what's weird about this film is that narratively and um you know just in general it's it's just one of those weird things where it's like yes it is worth seeing purely for the whacked out visuals because visually it is uh incredibly remarkable uh the story is is a bit thin um, and, and a bit too complex to, really I, I, it's not very coherent. Um, but what's interesting is that director, Tarsim Singh, made another film that I am incredibly fond of uh, called The Fall, uh, starring, uh, gosh, now the actor's name is I'm blanking on him, Lee Pace, I think, is, it, is in that film. Yeah. Um, uh, pushing Daisy's Lee pace. Yes, yeah, pu- pushing Daisy's Lee pace. I believe he's fall. he's in the fall. I'm gonna have to IMDb this so I can know whether or not I'm right. But um, if I'm if I'm accurate, which I'll know in mere seconds, I remember loving the movie The Fall, which was by the same director. It is decidedly not a horror film, but it is definitely very very interesting. But no, The Cell is, uh, it stars Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> of all things.
0: Yeah, J-Lo, um, Jenny from the Block. It stars
1: yeah. J-Lo. Um, so uh, I am correct about the name. Um uh, looking to see if I'm correct about Lee Pace being in it. Uh, but the film was called The Fall and uh, directed by Tarsem Singh. It's funny because I would only give a half-hearted recommendation to yes lee pace is is the star of that film um, years it's you're, hey. you are you're right <laughs> um, What you, why do you know what do you know a broken clock twice a day but um uh, i would give a wholehearted recommendation myself for the fall i would give at least for its visual aesthetic uh, a passing recommendation for the cell um directed by tarsim singh um number 3 this is, this this threatens this whole list <laughs> It really does. It really does. I got to be honest. I, I kind of get it. I mean, I kind of get it. Remember that this is we very clearly and although we didn't set this up very deliberately for our listeners this time around, there is a distinction to be made between favorite and best. Um and and this film has its or fans watched. <laughs> I made it through that movie Uh, so uh, listeners this is a film that we have covered before and it is one of those rare films that uh, we are not very fond of Um, so this is uh, directed by James Wong, your third favorite horror film of 2000 is the one and only Final Destination. Uh, which go back and, and listen to that episode if you want to hear us. Like there are very
0: miles hard. of quality between number three and number two and one here. Like there is just <laughs> <It's true. laughs> there is just so listen, great a chasm.
1: I don't know how much it holds up, but there are miles of quality between number three and number eight on this list. Let's just be honest. Uh, I mean, oh well, yeah. sure, but I do. I will say this. In defense of Final Destination, like it is, and I think I said this on the episode, it is B movie fodder fun. Like it is, it's ridiculous in a bunch of ways, but its premise is inventive. There are some, uh, there are some reasons why I would understand it rising in the ranks to reach the number three spot. But, uh, but I know you are not very fond of it, so there's that. What
0: are you gonna do? No. Uh, you are going to move on to number two on the list, and that is our topic of consideration today Mm -hmm. shadow shadow of the vampire directed by e elias or elias marriage and the only reason i do know it is marriage is from the behind the scenes stuff oh Um, interesting cool yeah so we are covering that film today we'll have plenty to say about it in the coming minutes all right so what about number one Reed?
1: so here it is the moment you've all been waiting for your number one favorite horror film of the year 2000. Honestly, when I saw this r- rise to the ranks, it made so much sense. Uh, it is a film we have already covered, which is why we're not covering it today. But directed by Mary Herron, it is the one and only American Psycho. Um, you got to return those videotapes. Um, yeah, I, I want to spend just a couple of minutes, not long, um, but I want to spend just a couple of minutes before we leave this segment. Now the list is all in front of you. Part of what we want to examine while we're exploring this in broader context is uh, the reason these films are the favorites of 2000. Obviously, our listeners have uh, made their selections, but these are the films that were notable and popular at the time. So what was what was it about this year that uh, sort of drives these kind of stories? And I want to focus for a moment, even though we did a whole episode about it, on American Psycho for a minute. When you think about it Coming into the new millennium, I mean, we all remember the the Y2K scare, and uh, there had been this sensibility of, like, it's a, a, a rise of sort of corporate power and corporate entities. There's a lot of films in the late 90s about... You know, uh, substantial money making schemes and everything. So I, th- I find it really interesting that American Psycho uh, hits so hard with our listeners, uh, and you know, is noted as like the film of two thousand because it really is um, this counter to all of the superficial, uh, the the facetious sort of um, sheen and and all of the the violence and the greed and the corruption that lies underneath that basic veneer um and uh, and i do think that's something that as we move into even the film we are covering shadow of the vampire is going to show up as well just in terms of i think people at this time seem to be very uh concerned with these images of uh falsehood and these sort of uh fake i mean look at uh, i keep coming back to it look at number 8 on the list is a film called what lies beneath and and is an is an element in that story about deception and about um uh, you know something not being what it appears to be um i think there's also some considerations to make about something like final destination silly as we may think the film is uh just about this inevitability of destruction that comes uh in uh the the ways you can't escape the reckoning that is that is on your doorstep so there's some interesting things going on in this list some things that uh i don't know they 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 pique my interest in terms of what we were concerned with and concerned about in terms of horror in the year 2000 what are your what are your general thoughts on some of these films i know you've only seen about half of them
0: yeah i mean i, I don't um You know, kind of at first glance, it's hard to wrestle down a consistent sort of like through line on these. Um, I do think there's a lot happening in American Psycho for sure. I'd be curious, and I haven't done this homework, um, to know... Because Shadow of the Vampire still feels like an off-the-beaten-path film. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be curious how it kind of ranked in terms of, you know, kind of box office, if you will, as a metric right, for right, the given right, year. Right. And so it's hard to look at that one necessarily as representative, but I do agree with you that some of these running themes of veneer and manipulation and, and you mm, know, mm-hmm, d- mm-hmm. the real explicit what lies beneath idea. I mean, to a certain degree, a lot of that's going to be just general horror fodder. But I do think it really does stand out uh, that American Psycho tops this list. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Part partly as you know this is uh the the film was released i think in 2000 of course but you know kind of uh, i don't know when the book released but you know it's it is itself a a reflection on the 80s american culture um and so you've got this span of let's say 15 years between 85 and 2000 um that are kind of under the microscope in that film right Um, yes so so no I, i do think there's Some interesting stuff to be found there. Um it would just like I said, be kinda hard having seen only about half of them to to find some consistent. So can
1: so can I make an observation that's just coming to me in the moment, real time? There's a huge wave of eighties nostalgia right now. Right. Um, you know, you can see it in Stranger Things and in so many films and soundtracks that have come out recently. There's a huge wave of eighties nostalgia. It is really interesting to me that it literally just clicked together when you said it is kind of a, a, you know, a satirical indictment. Those weren't the words you used, but of the 80s. And next week's film is too, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, and that's something that I wouldn't have necessarily gelled together. Um, listeners will be announcing this more concretely at the end, but uh, next week's film, again, not revealing where it ranks in the list, but we're covering Donnie Darko next week, which is also a film kind of critiquing sure. the late 80s, and it's interesting to me that the number one film this year that we're covering Uh, Or not that we're covering, but that's on this list is American Psycho, an indictment of the 80s in a way. Um, And then Donnie Darko, in many ways, is of a similar framework. So I think clearly the people coming of age at that time, the filmmakers coming of age at that time, were working through some things from that era and were trying to uh, sort of work out uh, some of the perhaps hypocrisy, perhaps uh something that they saw as a more malevolent subversion uh i don't know that's just it's very very interesting to me to consider
0: um if we can you know maybe maybe adopting this uh concept moving forward through our 2020 2020s here um it's interesting you know horror as a a microcosm of the film industry as a whole but like i just pulled up Box office Mojo uh, uh, grosses, top grosses of mm, 2000, mm. and this is fun. It's fascinating because I was looking at the list, and so for instance, the top film, which I'll tell you what it is in a minute, but the but the amount of money it made is 250 million, and it's funny because I keep looking around the page like surely this is not right because of how much inflation and yes, yes. worldwide release has affected. Like you know, you take uh, this is just coming to me in real time, but like Joker made a billion dollars, right? So right. I, I can't. Uh, um i'll do a little more digging because this is really on the fly uh, to know is this uh international box office nope that is that was domestic so i am i am actively going to worldwide to see where okay here we go here we go even still top um you can leave all this in because it's finding this stuff in real time so sure top film of worldwide in 2000 was still only five hundred and forty million. Wow! Versus, isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah,
1: yeah, that is nuts. I mean, that is that's nuts. a
0: wild gap. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So the top five. This is weird, and that that list just changed dramatically, going from domestic to worldwide box office. Uh, top five uh, box office grossed films in two thousand. Uh, number five was Dinosaur.
1: Whoa! The Disney right.
0: film. That's crazy. Was it Disney? I don't know. It's like that. I believe like, it's Disney. I, I don't know. uh Number four was "What Women Want." Uh, hello, oh, is that, that
1: No, no, no. What Women Want isn't. Uh, oh, that's Mel Gibson. It's Mel Gibson. Gibson. Yeah, I yeah, forget, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mel Jack Gibson is the um, as good as it gets. Yes, you're right, from ninety-seven. Right. Yeah. Um. Wow. <laughs>
0: uh Number three. Number three is Castaway. Great oh, fun. okay. Okay. Yeah, A Bob Zemeckis film. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, interestingly, number six is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is also Bob Zemeckis, right? Isn't that? Um, That's Jim Ron Carrey? Howard. No, oh, Jim, okay. it's right. Jim Carrey, but it's Ron Howard. I'm going right. to stop saying things because I'm really <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I'm surprised I know all this. Normally I have to look this stuff up. <laughs> um, number two on the list is Gladiator. Um, okay, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then number one on the list was. Mission Impossible 2, which is wild. Whoa, because, John Woo's film. Wow. Right, because interestingly, juxtapose that. I I've, I've told this story before, I don't know on pod or not, but um as a fun little, you know, movie history whatever, um number 9 on this list is the first X-Men film. Well, the oh, rela- yes. the relationship between the first X-Men film and MI2, the John Woo one, uh-huh. Do you do you know this story? About well yeah, because the guy Doug Ray he, Scott.
1: He, yeah, Doug Ray Scott was gonna be Wolverine. Yes. And then I forget if he got fired or dropped out no, to uh, do no, he
0: I think he dropped out to take Mission Impossible two. Right. And then And then they Hugh went Jackman with Hugh Jackman in. and here we are twenty years later and everybody's oh like, Doug Ray Who? <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Right. Oh, that's, that's cool. Nuts. That's fun. So top three of two thousand box wow. office gross worldwide is Castaway, Gladiator, and Mission Impossible. 2. So that's I want to make
1: I want to make one comment and then I'm going to make a request and then we'll get into today's yeah. film. So my comment is just uh this is interesting to me. I only know this bit of trivia because I found it so fascinating at the time. Castaway. Uh uh-huh. the reason Bob Zemeckis made two films in two thousand, Castaway and What Lies Beneath, is that if anybody has seen Castaway, you know that Tom Hanks gets stranded on an island and when he gets stranded there, he is a little hefty. Uh he's he's uh not I wouldn't say overweight, but you know, he's a he's a hefty individual and then they show after the passage of time that he has dramatically slimmed down. Well, Tom Hanks the actor needed time to do what he needed to do to get that weight off and right. so they didn't want a disruption in the look or feeling of the film so zemeckis hired the entire same crew to go make what lies beneath while tom hanks was oh, taking wow. the weight off yeah. for castaway and so, so that's they wouldn't why they would have to
0: release that creative Ex- team exactly
1: yeah. and so uh, so he made sure that they had jobs through so the exact it is literally the exact same creative team that made castaway that also made What lies beneath? Obviously, a different cast. you're just
0: you are a cornucopia of (laughs) Of useless knowledge, esoteric (laughs) film knowledge. Oh man, I love it! Um, All right, so what was your question?
1: Oh, my request is. Oh, request. Yeah, this is going to be hard to do because now we've Uh breached this. But that was so fun for me. Can we do all of our box office lookups? online let's not do any preliminary research can we look at yeah but, you mean like, in real time is that yes what you're saying? yes so yes. so let's look up the box office grosses that you did let's do that every episode but let's do it in real time on the recording rather than look beforehand and that's prepare final man because yeah, yeah that was really that fun was a fun I just, discovery I, I was like yes. oh what is that what is that so, it's, it uh, was like yeah.
0: uh it was like the old days when you and i go to a video store and be like hey have you seen that
1: and you're like oh, oh, gosh, oh yeah, did yeah, feel yeah yeah feel we'd like reminisce it did feel like that oh man pour a cold one out for blockbuster that used to be that used to be why it took nathan and i would wander around the video store for like the length of a movie trying to decide what we wanted to see and then we would just look at the shelves and be like you see that movie you see that yeah and then you got to talk about it for a few minutes you're like oh "Oh, this this choice and that choice it was so great oh those were the days man those were great all Um, right okay so but uh here we are um We probably would have had a conversation about American Psycho, but again, we already covered it. Go back and listen to that. That was a good episode. We're proud of it. But uh, we are here to talk about Elias Marriages' Shadow of the Vampire. Um, I will just piggyback on the comment that I made first, and then I want to hear your history with this film in general. Um, I remember watching it in college, and a lot of our mutual peers were very affectionate towards it, and i remember not being terribly I, I didn't dislike it but i remember watching it and walking away kind of going ah, that that was okay that was all right um but then like it it's garnered a lot of esteem over the years and uh and so then in rewatching it for this which i believe was only my second viewing of it oh, wow. um i was far more fond of it um uh, edging into i mean Love would be a strong statement to make about my f- current feelings for it, but but love very is a very strong m- statement. And it you, is. It you is. You need to be, you know, you
0: don't. carry that with sensitivity. So. Well, and
1: even more than that, love is a verb. I mean, I, it is.
0: I don't care what you say.
1: <laughs> good, good job. Good job. <laughs> um, <laughs> You that, had was, at a that was. Looked oh my so nice. god! Oh my god! That was before 2000. This it was. <laughs> that was about was, ten
0: did. years before 2000.
1: See, listeners don't know that I could right now, this minute, I believe, don't do, do yes, that no, entire no, no, rap. Just, I could. I could. We won't do that in real time. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so. Uh. But again, watching it for this film, I really enjoyed it. What was your history with this? Had you only seen it once before? Um, what was?
0: I'm pretty sure I was at this was at least 3. I, I don't remember the original original context though, okay. you know, the way to hear you paint that it was probably amidst theater peers uh from our college days. I have recollection of watching it after that era as well, but similar okay. time, you know, similar early 2000s. And when in my memory I enjoyed much more of what I would consider the black comedy aspects of it? Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mhm. And rewatching it, the last twenty minutes—not uh, even the last twenty minutes, because it's a relatively short film—which um, I was thankful for when I started at about ten o'clock the other night. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the last, you know, fifteen—I mean, the the set, the set, the last set piece, right? Yeah, um, yeah, the is, final filming is, scene. Yeah, yeah, I found deeply unsettling in a way that yeah. didn't quite resonate with my, I suppose, less mature self. 20 years ago so so no i mean i i think it's a weird film and i kind of love that about it i think yeah yeah i do think it's incredibly funny in a real dark sense Mm -hmm. um and we'll Mm -hmm. we'll get into some of that but i did want to shout out real quick this is less trivial bit and more just kind of share the love here uh so we alerted listeners and you know, despite the fact that this is a an opening episode for a massive year long coverage, it'll probably be our least listened to <laughs> episode of the year because this movie's not available anywhere. Um, uh, not digitally. So you, yeah. yeah, you can't get this film digitally. But uh, like I did with what was it? One other film in the last six months or so. Um, shout out to Vizart Video in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the very few video stores like period anymore. Um, I called them and I was like, "Hey, do you have Shadow of the Vampire?" They said, "Yes." And they held it for me, Reed. Oh, uh, Yeah, yeah. And so I, I rented so the important. formal version. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so just and shout out spend- to
1: Vizar in Charlotte. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Vizar. We should sp- clarify that as of prepping for this recording and as of this recording, it's not available digitally. I It was funny because when I looked that up just to make completely sure that it wasn't, I did find out that there were a couple of like those free ad service uh film streaming sites that – had previously had it. So it is Mm -hmm. possible that in a given number of months or or over time, it will then become available digitally. We will try our best to sort of keep our eye on that. And if it becomes digitally, you know, maybe reshare the episode or re-ping people back for it if you haven't been able to. um, But
0: you found it through your library system.
1: Uh, Yes, support your local library. I found it through my local library system, Uh, a very clear, crisp DVD copy. So yeah, um, uh, definitely. Or if you're lucky enough to have as... Uh, Nathan does in Vizart, uh, a local video store. Then uh, give them some of your patronage and uh, rent this film, because yeah, it, it, it's worth a watch. What, um, what do you? What do you want? How? What? How, how do you want to enter this film? Reed So I feel like, and and you and I kind of pre briefed a little bit uh, just about how much is going on thematically. I think this is an opportunity we can certainly mention a thing or two along the way, but. I think this is one where we kind of want to dive in to theme pretty early, uh, because there is so much I think going on. You already alluded to, sort of the the segment of those last fifteen minutes. If you will permit me, I've got like two notes for trivial bits, sure, um, please, and then uh, and then just one sort of passing thing that I absolutely love that I want to mention. Uh, but other than that, we can just we can we can sort of dive in if you want. Um, so. I did not remember at all I don't even know if I would have caught it in the in the moment uh, and if you watch the behind the scenes stuff on the d v d then you saw this uh even more substantially, but Nicholas Cage is a producer of this, yeah,
0: yeah, not that wild
1: that. um and I saw his name in the credits, and then if you pick up the d v d copy of it uh chances are strong he will have a little eight minute um you know behind the scenes sort of unpacking of it, which I thought was pretty great um uh, and I don't know if you picked up in your trivial research that this role was directly responsible yeah. for landing Willem Dafoe the part of Green Goblin in uh, Spider-Man, which I thought was really cool.
0: I, I did see that. I thought you, what you're about to say is the role was specifically written for him.
1: Which is well. true. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had come across that as well. Um, the only So that, that that's kind of the extent of my Spider-Man? trivial Spider-Man? <laughs> oh, I had completely forgotten that Carrie Elwes is in it. Like I, when yeah. he shows up, I was he's like, so "What? Great. He's he's wonderful." You're like, um, "What? No!" I was like, "What? No? No? Really?" I rewound <laughs> it. I told the room around me, "I was like, do you, do you see this?'" Um, I I I have to mention, and I don't want to shut down any particular elements of the film that you want to point out, um, but I must give a shout out to what I think may be one of the best scripted lines in any film we're going to cover in this series which is this, in my old age, I feed the way old men pee, sometimes all at once, sometimes <laughs> drop by drop. That is, I'm going to slow clap that line. That is, a, that is an insane, insane line. Who's sitting there writing it like, I feed the way old men pee? Like, what, really? Okay. Yeah, and yet it, I mean, it kind of works. It's pretty brilliant. So I just have to, I have to sing the praises well, of the urination line.
0: I, I mean, I do think you're identifying something that's representative of just the general strength of this film. Is, um, it, I, in a if if I were to be asked right now about recommendations, I certainly would recommend it. Yes, it might be a little weird, you know, if if you're expecting some real kind of straightforward, you know, right, right, little story. But I think the premise is so friggin brilliant oh it's, yeah i mean absolutely it is i love it i love the setup for the, like even watching it you're like this is so dang smart yeah like, it's just, great it's great uh as a pure idea um mm-hmm. to, to follow through on that but will you summarize
1: yeah. after, after you finish your thought will you summarize yeah, the yeah i mean for? um
0: uh specifically it is uh set in 1921 i believe and is meant to be a um, a what if version of the real world director Murnau's uh, Nosferatu, the filming of the movie Nosferatu from that same year, yes. and I could be
1: wrong, but I think they use some actual footage from Nosferatu. I don't or know at if least... they. So what I have seen is following the film. I there's a YouTube video out there that has a uh, a side by side comparison of the Nosferatu film with the recreations in Shadow of the Vampire oh, right. and it is it is at times pretty spot on most of the time they you know uh, made some different affectations and you can clearly tell even if the actors are different you can clearly tell some different staging but um, but I was pretty impressed they there was some uh, they did their homework on the film I will say that just in terms of how they crafted the shots
0: yeah and and so the the setup there is the, the studio that made Nosferatu couldn't get the rights or was denied the rights to Bram Stoker's Dracula, so made their own film. Which is true, it, by the way. That's... Yeah, called it Nosferatu, and it's the character is Count Orlok. Um, and the real-world film Nosferatu, Orlok, is played by the actor Max Schreck. And so the setup of Shadow of the Vampire is what if the actor... And I believe this, there was even some ur- urban legend around this, so it wasn't completely original to the oh film. Oh, my gosh. But what if Max Schreck, the actor, was actually a vampire? Yeah, so, yeah. So Malkovich plays this director who knows this secret but is so hell-bent on creating his work of art that he yeah, does not yeah. alert any of his especially cast. Uh And I think by the end of it, some crew folk are very in on the bit Mm -hmm. but you know just the kind of devastating ramifications that are wrought by him withholding this this knowledge and so yeah so yeah yeah, when i say the premise is so brilliant it's just you know you take your 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 real world vampire film and it's like well what if they actually got a vampire to to be in it and (laughs) just just a really great setup and so uh and so my main, if if we're doing likes dislikes, even scantly, it's the premise and Defoe. Oh my gosh, Willem Defoe! I mean, oh my goodness. In general, like I joked with you, we're, we're gonna pair this film with Lighthouse or some other Defoe <laughs> adjacent horror and call it the De Friend Defoe uh, series. <laughs> but everything about his Shrek is. Just perfect. Uh, it's the, amazing. The costuming, um, his actual performance is just—you know—when when when people talk about Willem Dafoe, it's roles like this that, yeah, are illustrative of what he's capable of, which is a lot. He is it's a really fantastic performer,
1: almost limitless. Like people give a tremendous amount of praise, and they as they should to. The chameleon actors of like the Daniel Day-Lewis's or even the Gary Oldmans, um, the Christian Bales, where they you know dramatically transform their appearances and everything. And Willem Dafoe's not quite in that camp, but it is hard for me to think of an actor more completely and boldly committed to yes. his performances than Willem Dafoe. And this is a perfect example of that level of craftsmanship. And he is uh, he is just a staggering staggering talent uh well and, yeah, and again it's, it's
0: just you know it's baked into the 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 premise but why the i keep referring to this kind of black comedic aspect to it is watching the character max shrek attempt to perform as an actor playing the role of count orlock mm-hmm. in malkovich slash murnow's Nosferatu is hysterical. It is yeah, yeah. his body language and physicality uh you know I you know this film has been out 20 years. I am not making this up. My brother and I for years would mimic the the hands down signaling that he <laughs> yeah. does in the scene that that's just a thing we would do is like you know if you're oh, indicating wow. to someone you just do the you know the stuff and the um you know when he when he clicks his Uh, Yeah. Fingernails together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, his his physicality, his performance is um, I I don't know. I I didn't even look this up. I don't know if it got nominated for anything, but it is award worthy, if not actually winning things. I mean, he's I know.
1: I don't think. No, 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 no. Uh, If memory serves. Oh, my gosh. I'm gonna have to look this up. If memory serves. I think it got Academy Award nominated for makeup. And I believe he got a supporting actor nomination um i i would need to verify that in brief but i'm this pretty whole, sure
0: this whole 2020 2020 is just gonna be you and i being like i think i think i think what, 19 really? years ago maybe that this was... thing happened hang on let me look it up let me do... i remember oh things like old men pee sometimes <laughs> all at once
1: <laughs> sometimes <laughs> drip by drip. exactly exactly um but no, I'm I'm pretty confident that he got nominated for support. I know even if he did not get Academy Award nominated, that he received a, a tremendous, overwhelming amount of praise for the role. Um, because he he really is. I mean, and let's not take anything away from the stellar John Malkovich, who is who is absolutely he's completely competent and capable actor, nominated for two Oscars, one of which was Willem Dafoe as supporting actor. Um but uh so John Malkovich is obviously very steady and amazing in his uh in his lead performance, but uh, Willem Dafoe is just a force of nature. I can't get away from that phrase. Yeah. He's just he's he's incredible in this. Um it's worth listen, it's worth the recommendation just to watch an yes. actor act. Like he yeah. is outstanding. I do not feel that we can do justice in our rave about his performance you have to see what he's doing and how fully committed to it he is it's uh it's really outstanding yeah i mean so that kind of covers my broad likes dislikes so i'd like to get into some of just what this film has on its mind and particularly a lot of it is baked into the last Thirty minutes or so, particularly the last fifteen, but but a lot of it sort of starts to come to the to the surface, as we've already expressed, listeners. The premise of the film is that uh, Malkovich's character F.W. Murnau has made a pact with this very real vampire, who he is calling Max Schreck, uh, and in his film is Count Orlok, and he has made this pact for the vampire to be in his film. They've they've reached a kind of a bargain but things begin to be a bit unbridled uh, it uh he begins to lose control of uh the vampire as you know he it, it, it can't keep the vampire from uh, shall we just say feeding on the crew <laughs> and uh, uh and and then eventually at least one member of the cast um and so he 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 can't keep that at bay anymore and one of the things that i found so arresting there's a line towards the end of the film uh i'm going to i want to invite both of us to just sort of feel the freedom to bounce wherever we intend to bounce as we're unpacking this film's theme but um there's a line towards the end of the film where in this final 15 minutes that nathan and i keep referencing basically uh it has come to light that the 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 vampire has been promised... I I, I don't know any other way to say this. F.W. Murnau, in the film, got the vampire to make this movie by promising him one of his actors, uh, specifically Greta, who plays the female lead in his fictional film. And he promised that Orlok could basically have her forever if he would be willing to do this thing. It was not clear to me in the film if... Murnau did that to get the vampire involved and then had some version of plan to get out of that contract or if he actually intended to offer this actor up um, as payment for the vampire's involvement but this all kind of comes to light and the last 15 minutes is a plan by the relevant pivotal crew members involved the director, um, the cameraman uh, and I forget Udo Kier the scriptwriter Udo Kier is he the mm, screenwriter no because the screenwriter he's a producer he's, he's a, a producer on it yes yeah. okay yep yeah, that's it um so a producer the cameraman and the and the director uh basically decide that during the filming of the scene they are going to uh entrap the vampire and like raise the latch bring in the sunlight and destroy the vampire so that They can all be free from this bargain that the director has made. But those last 15 minutes, the vampire has kind of stumbled onto their plot and has destroyed the chain that will raise and let the sunlight in. And so uh, the last 15 minutes are pretty harrowing because now they are locked in with this vampire. But there's a moment where, you know, pretty much everybody else in the room is dead except for Count Orlok and um, the director, and, as Orlock is menacingly approaching him, the director i don't know any other way to put it, continues to direct him, and he follows direction where he says like, "No, no, no, you know, back up," and he says something that just arrested me so much. He said, "If it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist and at one moment, things begin to fire off in my spirit about this idea that I feel dramatically insufficient to express in the moment of the ways in which it is possible for people who have an agenda, it is possible for people who have a need and a desire to coercively manipulate individuals to their own chosen ends, to enlist the aid of monstrous forces and to uh, basically, uh, conscript monstrous and wicked things that they then uh, the statement is, if it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist that then anything that would be contrary to their goal, anything that would be contrary to their aim, anything that would be subversive to the manipulation after which that, you know, uh, that, that they're pursuing is discarded, dismissed. It is as if it doesn't exist. In other words, if it doesn't fit, this thing that I am pursuing, then it does not exist. And I know that's it's a bit of a bumper sticker of an idea, but something about that so arrested me in the ways people will try to control and manipulate monstrous things and create monsters in the minds of the people they're trying to manipulate, uh, and then anything to the contrary if it's not in the frame it doesn't exist if it's not in line of sight of this story we're concocting then it then it's not true it doesn't exist um and yes there are social ramifications to that there are political ramifications to that um listeners are savvy enough to know some of what i'm pursuing but i'm trying to stay general as the principle uh although we can get very specific if we need to um but that was what i really took away was this uh, this concept of if it's not in the frame it doesn't exist as a as a means to dismiss and discredit anything that does not fit your perceived narrative because your perceived narrative is your means of power and control and coercive manipulation at work.
0: I'm going to change one of those words there. I won't say perceived narrative. I think more appropriately there, and I think you'd agree, is imposed narrative. Mm. Right? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Um, yes. Yeah, Man, you are you're in my lane, lucky. <laughs> in a good, I mean that positively. Like, sure, like, you sure, know. sure, sure. So, uh, you know, chicken, egg, cart, horse, who knows how these things align with each other, but it's not uncommon for something I'm reading to sort of echo into some of these things we talk about. And sure, sure. I just picked up a book about a week ago and and this is getting into sort of substantiating all that you're trying to say here, but I'm going to, cite the book and then go where you're at uh so the book is called the title of it is "Antisocial," um and mm-hmm. the sub the subtitle is online extremists techno utopians and the hijacking of the american conversation um wow yeah yeah, yeah. it's 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 a, probably not a healthy read unlike you you are <laughs> a very healthy read <laughs> Uh, which I, might I, get I get by, uh, right, right. <laughs> uh, but the author is a guy named Andrew Marantz. If I'm saying that right, he's a New Yorker uh, uh, journalist, and basically the setup for the book is he it. It's a powerful text, it, it, and in fact, how I how I described it to someone recently was, it feels like a textbook of our moment. Like, mm-hmm. like it it cites as ground zero. Kind of the architecture built by Silicon Valley in the form of social media, and how what was perceived as innovation has just blobbed into this cesspool of yeah, yeah. of bad faith actors. Mm-hmm. And where I'm going with this is so so from the film the the note I wrote that that syncs up pretty well is just as a general idea here, the manipulation of reality, uh, Mm -hmm. typically by bad faith persons to achieve a desired perception, almost inevitably releases a monster, which is very in line with what you were saying. And, and it's fascinating even using the, that quote of, if it, if it isn't in the frame, it doesn't exist. So this book, this journalist Morantz, he, Tags along, uh, you know, as the journalistic trade is want to do with, um, you know, I'm not going to name these folks here just because it's not worth publicizing who they are because I think so little of them. But a lot of these online personas that are effectively trolls of our day, right, like just dominating the Twitter sphere and, and the social media environment. Um, and so he tags along with these people for the last four or five years, um, Mm. you know, and, and writes kind of from this vantage point of, of, um, all the things that we take for granted as the, the, the upper, upper crust of the social media world, he is at the core as it gurgles up. Right. Uh, Like, yeah. And, and so it's really fascinating and, and kind of harrowing from that standpoint, but he, he is this eminent the writer is this eminent kind of pragmatist, and he I promise this is going to tie back into the film and where you're at, but sure, sure early in the book, and i'm about according to my kindle about sixty seven percent of the way through it um early in the book, he subverts the famous m l. k quote that the arc of history bends towards justice, right yeah, yeah, and he re- he reframes it. And he says, the arc of history bends the way people bend it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, shook. I was like, this is this is as eminently true as it is devastatingly scary. Right? right? Right. And, you know, it's interesting watching this film and why I grew so unsettled at the end this time around is, and you hear these stories over the years, right? These Hollywood stories of people like uh you know let's say like a woody allen or roman polanski or something like this these these folks who have reputations right for right for imposing harrowing film conditions to achieve something on film right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 woody allen may be unfair to throw in there i I don't know all every of of these stories but you know what i'm saying yeah and 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 so there's this in Murnau, this purity of artistry, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to get this artistic, cinematic achievement that is ungettable except through this fashion, right? And in so doing, not just unleashes a monster, but causes active and immediate harm mm-hmm. to the people around him, and right. I know it feels like these are hard to entwine here and that's because they're hard to entwine. um, And because these are really big ideas, but uh, for lack of a better aggregating phrase, I'm going to refer to the trolls, right? These, these figurehead trolls of the internet blogosphere, Twitter sphere, social media sphere these days, you, you even added a new layer of it with this quote of, if it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist. If it doesn't fit their disruptive intentions, Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm not even doing justice to the story embedded in this book of how the current political moment is born of these actions and yeah. actors. But if it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist. Even our very language read is is rendered moot by the subversive and ironic nature. You know, in in other words, in the film or in art making mm-hmm. it's malevolent intention to achieve an artistic goal and okay. the re in the real it's disruption purely for the intent of disruption um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. in in that environment even the attempts to challenge based on compassion logic are rendered right. mute because the whole point is irony and disruption in other words, if it's not in the right. frame, it doesn't exist. You, it doesn't matter what you say, Reed, because this is the end I'm after, and and all of your yes. more moralistic propositions are mm-hmm. are as nothing to me because I didn't mean it anyway. Um, yes. To re- to make a really direct phrase, oh, it's just locker room talk. It doesn't matter, Reed. What pff, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But but it's mm-hmm. this pervasive nullifying, negating yeah. of of good faith intent, right? Yes, in this in the spirit of achieving a very twisted end goal right and right. and so uh, that's all freestyling hopefully this is syncing up a little bit I, it felt like it was in sync with where you're going yeah so no it is in this the arc of history bends the way people bend it which is prophetic and devastating just a few notes here to spring us into maybe some other conversation what i wrote is the reason mlk could quote it his way which is the arc of history bends towards justice is because he represented a population who demanded justice for their own suffering. In other words, he was bending it, right? Mm, He, he, he on behalf of an oppressed and suffering population group was bending history towards justice. And what I wrote here is, but what happens when a population in the film, an artist bends things because they want to disrupt or fracture or break?
1: Right. It Mm. will
0: bend that direction. Mm. You have your Brian Stevenson's of the world who are bending reality towards justice. Yes. Towards equality. And that work is slower and more painstaking and will fail more than it will succeed. Right. Right. And then you have these. um, I don't. Do you know what 4chan is? I don't even like saying these words out loud, but 4chan. It's this like deep, dark corner of the Internet. Anyway. Uh, No. Right. So denizens of the that. Whole are four channers. You've got those folks, neo Nazis, alt riders, they bend reality purely towards the breaking of it. Mm. And in so doing, their methods and values set, such as it is, gurgle to the top of society and install a figurehead, release a monster.
1: Yeah, right, 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 right.
0: With an agenda. Reality will bend the way we bend it. It is your intentions that determine which direction the bending steers. And as a last sort of written note, but pivoting into you know, kind of direction here. This is why, like, I know these things seem like Nathan, you're hijacking shadow of the vampire to talk about this book you're reading. No, th- th- <laughs> no. these are all echoing against each other, right? Like rebounding oh, off absolutely. each other. Absolutely. And I was so unsettled by the Malkovich's characters, active intention to, to bend towards his own self-serving needs as a final note here and then we can just converse what i wrote is it's why and i wrote in quotes i'll be in heaven anyway or i'm going to heaven anyway type uh, of mentality to me right right is is just pure self-centeredness mm-hmm. it's pure self-centeredness and it is divorced from the spirit of christ because and I'm, as i try to unpack this the arc of history will not of its own of its own design bend towards justice right right it will not yeah, it is. It is not a thing that just will happen now. Mm. Eschatologically, perhaps, sure, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the present does matter, and and we 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 release ourselves over we we let the mernows of the world do whatever they're gonna do, cause in our heads, oh well, it's gonna be fine in the end. Or
1: yeah, please. Yeah. To, uh, listeners don't know that Nathan saw me do a very physical affectation when he just said it i i, I was I was I was h- trying to hold off because I didn't want to disrupt your thought eschatologically Please. yes maybe it will but I want to be really crystal clear to pivot back to something earlier that you said about um uh, let me just spit out my thoughts yeah that he commissioned us to do it He challenged us to do it. He left us to do it. And I feel like one of the elements of eschatology and this uh, so heaven-minded that you're no earthly good kind of trite idea, but the real substance behind it is I'll be in heaven someday. I don't have to worry about it. That is, quote-unquote, not my problem. You said earlier, I cannot quote it verbatim, but it is so contrary to the spirit of Christ and so contrary to the call and commission with which we are meant to frame the world around us and meant to address the world around us, um, I feel like it is is this—I do not feel that Christ in his time on earth looked very kindly on people who— washed their hands of the problems of those around them. Right. I'm just being observant of the text of the scripture. Sure. I don't feel like he was very affirming of yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you you do you boo. Like you you go on. You uh, just be whatever it is you're going to be. Um I feel like instead he was prompting and calling and in some cases demanding engagement and demanding uh attention and and, and I do specific- think I do
0: th- I do think there are some red letters that say "You do you boo." I mean, that's that's.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh man, put that on a. Oh man, what, put that <laughs> put that on a on a bracelet. Not W W J D. It's uh, you do you boo. It's, yeah, it's Y D. That's in Y-D- two Corinthians. Y D Y B. Y D Y B. So, but my my point being that you talk about the arc of history has to be bent. I deeply believe, and let me, I'm, yeah. let me tap dance a little bit on my personal uh, understanding of theology. I deeply believe in the sovereignty of Christ and the sovereignty of God. I also deeply believe in taking seriously his commission for us to transact that. Now, I, I don't like using the word transact, so I'll, I'm trying to find one that's a little bit better. Uh, enact it. Embody it. Like, his commission commission to us to go and be and go and do. You're my hands and my feet, he said. Like, you're the ones. I've, I've told you to go do this. You're, you've seen me do this thing. You're going to do even greater things than that. Now go and do it. And I feel like there is this what was the parable where he talked about, he said, you know, if your master leaves you to tend a vineyard and and he returns, shouldn't he return finding you doing what he left you to do? You know, and I think so many times it can be easy for people. We'll get to back to something in Shadow of a Vampire in a second, but I think it can be very easy for people to wash their hands and absolve themselves of the responsibility to be attentive and be engaged with the the needs that surround them, because oh well, you know, it's it's all just going to happen. The Lord's just going to make it work. And it's like what a, what a devastating thing to me. For me personally, me, read. I'm just going to speak for me. I'm yeah. not going to speak for the church. I'm not even going to speak for fear of God. But what a devastating thing for me to get to the end and be like, yes, Lord, I, I know and I believed that you were going to do this and you were going to enact this and that you were going to see this uh, make its way into the world. And for the Lord to look back at me and be like, well, I I put you there to, right, right, to assist right. with that. Like I, I fearfully and wonderfully made you. Now, I do want to be clear. I want to backpedal a little bit on I am simultaneously very uh, attuned to the need for us to simply be aware of our belovedness without responsibility of, you know, that, that like this transaction does not uh, coerce God's love for us, um, that it is not just no, about, you know, like we don't earn right. God's love through this thing. But I do feel like there is a commission that it's like once we know that we're responsible to go and do and to feel otherwise is to miss the point. And to feel otherwise is to miss out on so much of our intrinsic purpose and mission to live out what he has done for us and in us.
0: Yes. And and rarely, it's, so Reed and I, in prepping for this episode, we're basically like, okay, we don't totally know where this is going to go, but maybe we, <laughs> maybe we skimp on the likes just like scares and, and service to the themes and uh, goodness gracious. So to be fair, <laughs> we rarely get this high theology, but for anyone who is unaware – you know, when we say things like eschatology, that is oh, uh, historically right. meant to be kind of end times type of, you know, theology and conversation. So, yeah. you know, the 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 statement we were effectively making is, sure, does in the eternal view, the arc of all time bend towards a redemptive purpose in the consummation of Christ and creation? Yes. Let's honor and and give proper deference to that. However... Yeah what I was trying to position and what I think you're sort of articulating now as well is the problem and it is a monstrous problem is we have for a very, very long time uh, by omission and by active commission decided that that is enough and, Mm. and, and kind of abdicated our role in, redeeming the creation around us and and i'm with you like by no means i I mean i think most people that a lot of christians don't think are are deeply beloved and are all welcome at the table all i'm trying to get at and work towards in my daily comings and goings is bearing responsibly the weight of ambassadorship right like of of yes. Christ representation and this as i you know this conversation is the first time i'm articulating my response to this film and so some of this stuff is pre-written some of it is coming in real time but reed you talk about complicity and 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 in the frame existence and intentionality reed we are Permitting monsters to molest our wives and daughters and sisters mm-hmm. and 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 those of less fortune and privilege around us while we watch and record and broadcast
1: I know no I know,
0: and we say well I'm sure it's probably fake or that that you know that's 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 um you know that's that's the libs that's that's the the, the GOP, whatever we, we, mm-hmm. we write it off and, and, and mentally, uh, impose cognitive dissonance between what we know is occurring mm-hmm. and what we don't want to believe is real. Yeah. And so what that then does is just absolves us and lets us go about our daily life. And, you know, ah, I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Cause, cause I'm going to heaven or whatever sort of, yeah, yeah pithy, pithy, personal, shallow, faithless religion we've ascribed ourselves to. Sorry, yeah. but no no, but, no, the, I, but I it's just stirred up by you know, and, and, and I what's amazing is at any given moment, we're one we're a different one of these players, mm. the the observer or the instigator, the monster or the assaulted. Yeah. Yeah. I think our intention is to exist outside of all of those roles once we can own and carry with maturity and, and compassion our Christ likeness and, and and redeem you know, pull out the assaulted and call right. to a, call to account the instigator and the monster and banish them from our, our, yes. our, our very realm to get real yeah. weird.
1: So, so, a couple <laughs> man, a couple things. <laughs> Shadow Shadow <of> the Vampire. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, man, so many things. So the first thing that comes to mind, the most prominent thing, is something that I have been very passionate about. I may have even articulated at an earlier episode at some point. When I read the passage of Scripture that says, faith without works is dead, I know that so often people will distort the conversation and the meaning about that to mean like, well, is it works-based or is it faith-based, you know? Um, And I think what the book of James is articulating there when it says that faith without works is dead is identifying and diagnosing that, like, you can say you have faith. If it does not produce things in your life, it is deceased. It is dead. It is not active, vibrant, and alive within you. I don't view it as this condemning kind of, if you don't, in other words, like pivoting back to what we were saying earlier is uh, like, I, to put it very uh, blunt and personal, we can't all be the Brian Stevenson's of the world, but we're not all sure. called to be. And I feel like sometimes when you look at the daunting task of bending towards justice Mm -hmm. you could say like well i i I don't i don't know how to be brian stevenson well good news is you don't have to be brian stevenson right right but what you can do and we touched on this a bit in our in our uh conversation last week what you can do is be attentive and pay attention to the world around you and see ways in which because it has become uh so much more a part of my conversation that element where Uh, The Lord assured that giving something as simple and small as giving a cup of cold water in his name would reap reward. And I can recall a personal story. I remember, uh, so my grandfather was a pastor and uh, a preacher for most of his life, Uh, almost all of his vocational life, that was what he did. One of the few recordings that we still have of him was a time that he ministered at my father's church, and he was a guest speaker there. And I can remember that he talked—I He, I, I can't even remember the subject about which he was preaching—but I can remember he, this man of uh, upper probably 70s at this point of this recording— uh, a man who was so weak and frail because of the Parkinson's that was attacking his body had to sit down to preach. And I remember in the midst of his sermon, he quoted this scripture where he said, even if you give a cup of cold water. And as soon as he said it, he broke. And in the middle of his sermon, he says, even if you give a cup of cold water, and he begins to cry. And this man begins to cry. My gran- my grandfather, my papa, begins to cry because he is so overwhelmed with the beauty of simple actions, of simple attentiveness, of simple grace and simple generosity and these simple little moments um that may not bend the full arc of history, um to, to use the language we've been mm-hmm. dancing around now, but will but could possibly bend the moment as vital and important as that is, and your your power to bend the moment. Mm. What happens when To pull it back into Shadow of the Vampire, what happens when Murnau is uh, observing these monstrous things, and then because of these monstrous things, what does he care about? He just cares about the product. He just cares about... He doesn't care about the people involved. He doesn't care about anything else. He just cares about the product that he's going to... The, the moment the film leaves us with, which, following an earlier theory, can be presumed that it's the moment the film and the filmmaker wants us most to reflect on when we look back in the uh, in the story we've just seen, is a simple close-up shot of him after everything has been captured in frame. The vampire is dead. The rest of the crew that he had with him is now deceased. And he looks back at what he has captured and says, "I think we have it mm. and that's and that's his fun- I think we have it like he he obtained he captured the product that he was after, and one of the things that has bothered me so deeply and that has become such a vital part of my conversations with my brothers and sisters about looking at social trends and political trends and at about all of the things that we could get swept up in in the social media world and in the conversational world and everything is I feel it is of continuing—it's uh, continuing to be reduced that the way we get there is as important mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. where we get. Yes. That how we conduct ourselves and the ways in which we get from point A to point B is as important as either of those positions. The way we choose to be in the world, the way we choose to embody or actively not embody the commission that we have been charged with. And I feel like when I think about things like this, he wants, Murnau in the film, wants to make this stellar, outstanding picture. He wants to make a legendary film. And to do that, he needs to enlist the help of a vampire because... you you want reality you want this verisimilitude you want the most impactful product you can so he enlists the help of a vampire and at the expense the one moment in the film that gives me chills i mean several do in the last 15 minutes but um when greta uh the actress that he has promised to count orlock when she is laying on the bed she has now been bitten by the vampire Uh, he's got impatient and begun to take her and she's laying there and she remembers a moment from earlier in the film where he assured her, this is the role of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like this is the role that's going to, uh, I, I forget his exact quote to her, but he basically compels her to say like, this is the role. This is, this is the one that you were destined for. And that's what she recalls as she's sitting there now having been, victimized by him as a filmmaker and by the vampire that she was promised up to without her knowledge. And I think about the ways in which the people around us, this is where I'm going and maybe my final statement on the film and my thoughts on the film. The way the people around us become means to an end shatters my trust in our ability to understand the gospel. The ways in which People become nothing more than statistics. We've said before on this show that when the policy becomes personal, or when the uh, when the principle becomes a person, or when the you know whatever it is when that becomes a person, then everything changes. The when when we examine and can see, and the scales fall off of our eyes, and we see the flesh and blood human being. There's another story in the scriptures, so many are just flying through my head right now, but there's another story in the scriptures where the disciples are walking by a man who was born blind, the scriptures say, and they ask one of the most ridiculous questions. They ask Jesus, they said, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did he sin or his parents sin? Which is is crazy to me, that they're asking these kind of situations while the man is presumably in some degree of earshot. I mean, he's at least, you know, nearby them. And they're like, you know, so who sinned to cause this? What's, you know, what's the root cause of this? And Jesus dismisses all of that and heals the man. And, And he says this was done so that the glory of God could show through him. And you can get into all this theological minutia of what that means in the broader spectrum of things, what I'm taking away from it and how I'm blending it in with this conversation, is Murnau in the film sees people as a product, and there's an end he's chasing. He enlists the aid of a monster, and the rest of the people are merely products to get from point A to point B. The only reason he is mad at Count Orlok when Orlok starts consuming the crew is the setback to the production. Right. That's the only reason <laughs> right. he's mad, right. is the setback to his production. Now I've got to fly back, and I've got to bring somebody else back. Like That's what he's frustrated about. And as long as you continue to see in your walk of faith, in your journey towards Christ-likeness, as long as you continue to see people as little more than the means to get you from point A and point to point B, you have missed the point. You have missed the incredibly profound commission with which we have been charged to be the hands and feet of Christ to the people around us if you are not actively doing that then i think just faith without works is dead it is deceased within you and has no vibrant substance
0: um i keep thinking about our parasite conversation and the the distinction between acting like you own the place and owning the place. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And you know, in this moment in the film in shadow of the vampire, Murnau is, is acting like he owns the place. Th- this is his, this is his production, but owning the place, owning the moment would be defending the defenseless would be yeah, yeah. rejecting the monstrous. And yes, yes, you know, you, you made the comment a minute ago, putting on equal footing. If I'm remembering how you said it correctly, putting on equal footing how we get to where we get. And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I don't even know that you would disagree with this really, but it's I just remember the way you said it made me think of that way. But for me in these days, I think how you get there matters a great deal more than where you get. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Because I reference in the interview with Robin last week, the Eugene Peterson quote, we make the road by walking. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you, you, you aren't going to get there if it's not how
1: that's a really weird way to say Mm -hmm.
0: that. But I don't know, man. I don't know.
1: I, I, maybe this, uh, this is just coming to me in real time that, that the way you get there will largely inform where you get that, that the, the way you walk the path may be more vital than the path on which you're walking and that, that you may produce a different destination. By walking on it in a way that is not in alignment with the spirit in which you were were pulled there in the first place, and um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, I think it's a valuable consideration for us to simply pay attention to ourselves, pay attention to how we are conducting ourselves. What, how are we choosing to view other people? You talked to, about in that antisocial about you know some of some of the biggest problems or what I hear a lot about social media from some of my friends who have chosen either to exit it entirely or to minimize their usage of it has said like, it's not so much what's being discussed. It's how it's being discussed. And I hear that comment frequently where mm-hmm. people say like the debate is not the problem. The problem is that we can't debate. We right, are name calling right. and being nasty and sharing memes that so reduce the complexity of the problem and, and sometimes miss the point point entirely and not exclusively beating up on social media because I think this tendency can can happen in our real face-to-face conversations as well. I think it really just boils down to in, in ways that are hard work and that require our direct intentionality that, yeah, how you get there will largely inform where you get. And, um, you know, m- maybe you will get that product. Maybe you will um, uh, you know, finish that film. I think we have it, you know. Um, but but then then what? And at what cost? And uh, yeah, it's uh, shadow, shadow of the vampire man. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm shocked. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to give respect to to what we've discussed, but uh, but I feel, I mean, I feel feel pretty good about the conversation. Do you have anything that you were waiting to? Uh, to engage with that we haven't already um
0: there's there's so much that i don't partly maybe because i don't practice saying it enough i don't know but i think i think this will resonate with you but these massive ideas mm -hmm. that are less less idea i don't even mean idea in the ephemeral academic sense and more just like putting on skin (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm, ideas mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah oh yeah Yeah. and and having such difficulty because you're unpracticed in the articulation of knowing how to articulate uh in a real cogent way although that is pretty good you know these 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 days where you where for me personally at least because i it is my desire i don't want to come on here and i'm i'm trying to be more intentional about that i don't want to come on here and bash social media trolls and don't find some way to sort of own how how these things either have affected me in the past or or how i want to move forward for myself but but that notion of ideas as new skin as new wine skin yeah. even you know it's yeah. like these mm-hmm. I think if we aren't constantly attempting to be conscious, we will fall into the roles of instigator or monster or oppressor or broadcaster and not as intercessor and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, as, as shield, you know, this even came to me earlier, you know, you, you made the comment about growing in Christ likeness kind of what what I almost want to say to that is like no you are Christ like now live out of that now walk right like right right and I, you know how how much any of this still is relevant to the film is is a good a decent question i suppose so no I, right now i'm just kind of following <laughs> follow, following right. brain trains and yeah, of course. you know uh, of course. um taking advantage of the opportunity but no i'm okay too yeah um you know, kind of rise back up to the surface a little bit.
1: (laughs) Sure. Sure. I mean, there's, yeah, the clearly there's so much more that could be said, but I think, uh, I think we, we can leave it there. Um, and so we'll, we'll pivot over into our very specific metric of fear and God for, uh, E Elias marriages, uh, shadow of a vamp of the vampire, your number two favorite horror film of the year 2000. Um, so we're going to go to the fog meter, um, for fear, uh there's some really delightfully macabre imagery in this film. Uh, and in many ways the final 15 to 20 minutes is quite uh harrowing and uh, distressing in a lot of ways. So uh I'm going I'm going to give it a 6 on the on the fear measurement. What would you say? Uh for fear, oh. I, you
0: know until this most recent viewing i would have said it was a pretty low fear rating just cuz i do find so much affection for the the darkly comic aspects of it but yeah yeah um for purely how much <clears throat> that last 15 minutes or so spawned an insanely deeper than maybe is warranted conversation um all rooted in the kind of fearful aspects at work um I will give a. I think a six is safe. I think that feels appropriate. Okay, um, and so I will partner with you there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. What would you say for the God measurement? Um. Well, yeah, and so that's that. That is what prompted me to pull my punch on the fear factor because I think I am, you know, startlingly uh, uh, newly aware of how much is going on in this, or at least what it sparked in me. Uh, so, um, for the
1: God meter, I think an eight is not unfair. Um, yeah. So I'm going yeah. to go with an eight. You know what? You partnered with me on my six. I'm going to partner with you on your eight. I think that's uh, I think that's uh, really fair because the, the fact is this film for us has clearly prompted a lot of post viewing thoughts. Um, and I'm, I, I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that we bring a lot to the conversation of our sure. own perspective and of our own recent histories and our own sort of uh, thoughts being framed in that. But a lot of what we've talked about is, I mean, it is text of the film. It is not right. subtext. It is right. text of the film that he has coerced these elements uh, to produce a film and, and, uh, and that that is his ultimate goal to the destruction of those many of those around him. So um, so that is that is the text of the film. I'm going to join you in your eight. I like it.
0: Uh, so, in our by our powers combined here, uh, what we re- <laughs> what we are resulting in is a seven on the fog meter for Shadow of the Vampire, which
1: feels that's great. That feels right. Appropriate. I mean, yeah
0: sure does it is nice to revisit these older films and be like no there really is something there uh, yeah final I'm destination i'm not looking at you <laughs> um <laughs> uh, oh, so yeah read uh, you already mentioned it but just to reiterate next week we will be diving in uh putting on our uh stupid bunny suits as it were and uh, jumping into richard kelly's Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal co-starring. Uh, yes, Donnie yes. Darko from two thousand one.
1: Um, yeah. Any any final thoughts on Shadow the Vampire? Or, oh, uh, no. we do want
0: people to go vote. Go vote.
1: Yes, please. By all means, go and vote for the rest of the surveys so that we can keep the the pattern and the rhythm of this year going on. You, uh, the surveys will start shutting down as the episodes are airing. So uh, do go vote for at present as of this recording two thousand and two through 2008 are still awake um, so go ahead and go and uh, vote on your favorite horror films of those years and uh, yeah then then we will see you next week for a conversation about Donnie Darko um, and your top 10 favorite horror films of the year 2001 Nathan thank you so much for thank having you, this conversation with me I will say about Shadow of the Vampire just in passing it is not uh, available digitally as we've said but so worth the extra additional effort for you to seek it out from your local video store or your local library. So uh, please, yeah, we by did, all means, I think that.
0: partly because we're still swimming in the depths here, but we didn't even ask. Do we recommend it? I oh my gosh, yes, we it. didn't. Yeah, oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I I uh, definitely wholeheartedly recommend it. Uh, I f- you know it it has got some some mature moments, but is remarkably accessible um, and is as Nathan has said before, uh, remarkably brief as well. It is a very short film and briskly paced. It is, uh, it is definitely worth your time. Um, and uh, unlike Shadow of the Vampire, Donnie Darko is readily available in a number of ways digitally. If, spoiler alert, you are tempted to check out the director's cut uh spoiler alert do not (laughs) watch the theatrical cut we'll explain more when we uh visit that film next week but nathan again thank you so much for having this conversation with me um and listeners as as you know by now the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation so in the spirit of that we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing thank you all for listening we'll see you next week uh, guys next week
0: The Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at thefearofgod, on Instagram, at fearofgodpodcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God Discussion Group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: Hi, everybody!